The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Hosea chapter 6. If you have your Bibles or your apps, would you open them up or turn them on to Hosea chapter 6 as we look at the severe love of God, the severe love of God. Hosea chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He'll revive us after two days. will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain, watering the earth. Father, we have worshiped in song. We see the opportunities that lie before us this coming week at work, but also to serve the body of Christ in our community and here. Thank you for our friends visiting. Would you bless them in their ministry? Now, God, as we look at the word, would you help us not to merely look at it, but to be doers of the word? In Christ's name, amen. Hosea is warning the nation of Israel, don't go back to your sinful ways. It's a warning. If you look at verse one, he says, return. Come with me and return to the Lord. So Hosea is warning the nation, you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back to the ways that you have been. One of the greatest struggles I believe that we face in the spiritual life, one of the greatest battles is returning to our old ways, going back to our old patterns of sin. Uh, let me put it this way. We, we, we wrestle with different issues in life. We come to Christ. We begin to walk with Christ. And we find ourselves reverting back to those old ways, those old patterns. Paul had this struggle in Romans chapter 7. This is what he says about his own self. He says, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. So Paul says, hey, the very things I don't want to do, I find myself doing the things I want to do, I find myself not doing. And he says, I've got this battle, this struggle in the spiritual life. I revert back to my old ways at times. I know I've got that issue. Anybody else in here have that issue? I mean, we fall back in the same rut, the same sin, the same pattern. So we're walking with Christ for a season. Let's say anger is your issue and you walk with Christ for a season and your anger subsides and peace replaces that, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and and anger subsides and it's not really a part of your life. But then maybe you have a little spat with your spouse or maybe there's more month than there is money or maybe there's an issue at work and you find yourself reverting back to that old issue of anger. Or maybe bitterness is your issue. Or maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an addiction to drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's pornography. And and you've been freed from that addiction for quite a while. But then some struggle comes into your life. And when that struggle comes into your life, you find the temptation to go back to your old ways. The temptation is there to revert back to where you have been. And that's what Hosea is writing about. And I believe that's part of Paul's struggle here. It's the temptation to go back to our old ways, a temptation to return from where we were. It may be anger, it may be bitterness, it may be unforgiveness, it may be an addiction, whatever it might be, but the battle becomes not going back to where we were. It's a battle to not go back to where we were. And, and, and there are times, it's like, it's like walking into the same pit over and over. There was a revival taking place at a, a country church, uh, uh, Appalachian Church, Hillbilly Church in Kentucky. And uh, week after night after night for that week-long revival, there was one man. He would come down to the front. He would get on his knees, and he would call out to God, God, remove the cobwebs, remove the cobwebs, remove the cobwebs, referring to sin in his life. And finally, in the last night, he made his way back down the aisle, and, and he's crying out, Lord, remove the cobwebs. And all of a sudden, an old lady sitting in the back hollered, Lord, kill the spider, kill the spider, kill the spider. 
I mean, here's the reality. Sometimes we walk into those same cobwebs, don't we? We end up going back in the same ways, following the same pit, following the same habits, embracing the same sin that once we had been freed from. And Hosea is saying, return to the Lord. Don't go back there. You've already been there. Don't go back. And so when we look at this, Hosea 6, the whole chapter, what we're going to see here is the prophet's plea for the people to his people. It's an urgent appeal not to go back. The plea of the prophet. Look at verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. It's, it's Hosea calling out, let's come back. It, 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 let's come home. Let, let's come back. It, it's an urgent plea. Return. God has disciplined us. Look at what he says in verse 1. He has torn us. He has wounded us. In verse 1, he's saying God has injured us, but he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of reconciliation. This verse has a couple of parallelisms in the Hebrew language, if you will, for he has torn us, for he has wounded us, but if you see that, look in your scriptures, it says twice, but he will heal us, but he will bandage us. So what Hosea is saying to the people, he's pleading with them, come back to the Lord. Yes, he has disciplined us. Yes, he has torn us. Yes, he has wounded us, but he is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of reconciliation. He's a God of restoration. And the second half of each of those phrases, he says, he will heal us and he will bandage us. And Hosea is saying, hey, we've drifted far from God, but I want you to know when God has disciplined us, he's done that to woo us back to himself. He's done that so that that he's disciplined us because he loves us and and he's seeking to draw us back to himself. And he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. In fact, Hosea could say, look at my marriage. Look at my marriage. For a season, we we were a mess and we were far from one another and and my wife was far from God. But look at what God has done. He has restored. He has reconciled. He has healed that which is torn and broken. And so Hosea calls to the nation and he says, return to God. Return to a walk with God. In fact, when we look at this, Hosea, uh, his assurance of God's forgiveness and restoration of his people is presented under the motif of the third day. Look at verse two. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we might live before him. Now, the third day motif is significant throughout the scriptures. God appeared to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19. They're beginning to, they've just left Egypt. God appears to the nation uh, on Mount Sinai on which day? On the what? Third day. Not a trick question. Third day. If you go to Leviticus chapter 7, Leviticus chapter 19, you go to Numbers chapter 19, uh, you, you jot that down. The third day was a day of healing and reconciliation. The third day referred in all those passages to time of healing and reconciliation. And then we, we know that Christ tells his disciples over and over, he says, there's coming a time when the Son of Man will die, but he will rise again on the what? Third day. And so Christ dies and he's resurrected on the third day. And look, look at the parallel that the Hosea has. He will raise us up on the third day that we may have life, that we might live before him. It's the third day motif. He's saying, I'm telling you, God has disciplined us. He's torn us. He's wounded us, but he will heal us. He will bandage us just like the third day he gives life. So press into the Lord, verse three. In fact, Hosea is so certain and confident of God's care, he compares it to the cycles of nature. He says, God's care, pressing into him. When you know him, his going forth is as certain as the dawn. God's care, his comfort, his concern, his restoration, acceptance of you is as regular as the sun rising. 
It's his regular look at the end of verse 3. He will come to us like the rain. He will come to us like the spring rains that water the earth. Just as the spring rains come and bring forth the crop for the year, likewise, our Father will regularly allow you to come to him. And so in these verses, Hosea is saying, come back. Come home. Return. Return to our good God. Return to a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, a a God who you can trust, a God who is good all the time. It's an urgent appeal, plea from the prophet to return. Come back. You know, this morning, some of you are 90 degrees off. Your walk with God used to be here, but now it's here. You know and I know that, that it's cold. You once walked closely with God, but currently you're not. And my plea to you is the same plea that the prophet had to his people, return. Some of us are just a few degrees off. We're just a few degrees off. We're not harboring any sin. We're seeking to keep short accounts. But you know somehow your heart is not where it needs to be in a walk with God. It's not far off, but it's just a little off. And some of us are right here. We're privileged to be walking with Christ more intensely than we have in our whole life. So let me ask you, where are you? Are you over here? I mean, are you over here where you know your walk with Christ is cold, where you're living in bitterness and unforgiveness and anger or blame? Or, or maybe, maybe it's over here you're just embracing something that you won't let go. Or, or maybe you need, you say, I've never been close in my walk with God. If you're over here, the call of the prophet is return to your good God. If you're over here, it's like, come on. Come on, he loves you, he cares for you, exercises grace and mercy, and you don't want to experience the severe discipline of God. Or maybe you're here, you just need to say, thank you, God. Thank you for allowing me to be drawn near to you and knitting my heart to your heart and keeping my heart close to your heart. See, the question is, do we believe in his goodness? I mean, that's what Hosea is saying. Hey, he's torn you, he's wounded you, but I want you to know he'll heal you and bandage you. He's a good God. Max Licato asked this question, is God only good when the outcome is good? When the cancer's in remission, we say God is good. When the pay raise comes, we announce God is good. When the university admits us or the final score favors our team, we say God is good. Would we do and say the same under different circumstances? Would we say in the cemetery as well as the nursery, God is good? Would we say in the unemployment line as well as the grocery line, God is good? Would we say in the days of recession as in the days of plenty that God is good? Do you? You know, I wrestled with the goodness of God. At a time in my life when uh, many of you are aware of it, some of you are new, and it, it goes back to when my son was, uh, we were coming out of Africa. We had done a conference there. He got violently sick. And in a matter of three weeks, uh, he went from, and he's a runner, biker. He's not built like me. He's built like Bev and uh, lean and mean and uh, uh, least likely candidate you would expect within three weeks to have juvenile type 1 diabetes at age 19. And if you were here, you remember those days. It was a dark time for me. I mean, I, I, I went on the back deck of my house after two or three days of kind of cogitating on this and thinking through it. And I remember standing on the back deck saying, God, if this was what it means to be on the front line for you, to be serving you, honoring you, walking with you, dedicating our lives to you, and now you allow our son to be touched in that way, I'm not sure I want to continue in this. I, I'll go sell something somewhere. Do something different. And I had a battle with God. It was a wrestling match over a two-week period. If you were here, it was a dark time for me. And, and, and I'm wrestling with God. Well, you know who won that wrestling match, right? 
I mean, you wrestle with God, you lose. And the way God turned my heart was through three things. First of all, I watched my son handle the situation in a much better way than I did. Actually, everybody in my family did except me. And I watched God take that disease and use it in his life to change him in a great way. My, my son is the absent-minded professor. I mean, I knew he was going to die because the last time we wrote his name in his coat was his fourth year of medical school. I mean, he's an absent-minded professor. And when he became diabetic, I thought, I mean, you guys remember we're neighbors over here, right here, and right here. It's like, he's going to die. He's not going to remember to take insulin. He's going to die. I, I remember those thoughts. And the second thing, I mean, as I'm wrestling with this, I watched the way he responded. You, as the body of Christ, came and loved on us. I'd open the door. I couldn't even talk. And he'd throw your arms around me and hug me and say, Pastor Gary, we're praying for you. I'd walk down these hallways praying for you. And... Uh, you know, it, 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 I knew it was a lifelong disease. It also involved food. I mean, you, get, you become diabetic, and food is my idol, as I confessed a couple of weeks ago. And that's all I had in my mind. His whole life has changed in that direction. The third thing is, God kept bringing to mind all these scriptures I'd memorized for all these years. And I began to reflect on all he had done for all those years, how he had provided, how he had cared, everything he had done for us as a family, all the way he had protected us in, in that times we almost died. We had monoxide poisoning in our house. We were 40 minutes away from glory and God protect us. I, I remembered all those things. And through God reminding me of who he was and what he had done through your loving care and through my son's response, all of a sudden I recognized God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. And we've got folks in here going to prison. I, I go in usually about once a year. We've got folks that go in every week. We've got a lot of folks that go in multiple times a year. When you say that in prison, they know what it means. And so in prison, I'll say, God is good. And I, I said the first time, not recognizing it happened. Before I get to the next line, they holler all the time. And then I caught on to what was happening. I said all the time. And then they responded, God is good. So let's try that here. God is good. All the time. All the time. You know, I had to learn that lesson. I had to learn that lesson. And God taught me and put that in my heart and in my mind and changed my life. What about you? Do you walk in here today thinking God is good? Do you walk in here saying, thank you, Lord? See, I've struggled. But God in his goodness drew me back to himself. And that's what Hosea is saying. Return to the Lord. His love is severe at times. But he wants to bind up those wounds and he wants to bandage the broken heart. Whatever it is, however deep it is, that's what he wants to do. The temptation for us is to go back, not to the Lord, but go back to our ways, to fall in those sinful patterns, to, to not kill the spider, but to walk through those cobwebs time after time, to embrace that past sin. We've been watching a video each single week. It's a video of a parable or a parallel to Goldman Hosea. It's a young couple uh, on their first week of their wedding. She was unfaithful. You, you've seen, some of you have seen it, some of you have not. And, and last week, there was redemption. Just as Hosea bought Gomer back, this young man went to a Baal's bondman and brought his wayward wife back. And she came home. Hosea is saying, come back, return to the Lord. Don't go back into that sinful way. So she goes back home. She had thoughts about returning to her sinful ways. Watch this.
when that young wife took that ring off and stuck in her purse, I want to scream, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But she takes it and she puts it back on. The temptation was there, but she didn't follow through. The problem with Israel is Hosea saying, don't do it, but they do it anyway. They continue to walk away from God. And so verses four to the end of the chapter are really warnings from God because you continue in this sin, I'm going to discipline you. First of all, he talks about empty promises. Look at verse four. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? It's like a parent, an exasperated parent saying, what am I going to do with this kid? They're not listening. They're not obeying. They're not following through. I mean, what am I going to do with Ephraim, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom? What am I going to do with you? What am I going to do with you? I don't know what to do with you. We're exasperated the way you're treating us. You ever have that with your kids? I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with them. And, and so there's a struggle. I remember our daughter, when our daughter was a strong-willed one, I told you a few weeks ago, we got to paddle everywhere. We had to paddle both our cars, every room in the house. I had to paddle my gym bag. And so we got paddles everywhere. Uh, I, we would take a ride out into the country and find a little cafe and eat. This day we're in Little River Academy, found a cafe. We ate there on the way out. We're checking out. And uh, there's some peppermints there. And a lady reached over, peppermint sticks. And the lady checking us out reached over and said, uh, here's one for you and here's one for you to my son and my daughter. And they were probably about six and four at the time, five and three, I can't remember exactly. And, and so I said, tell the lady, thank you. And our son says, thank you. And our daughter looks at me, looks at her, and she goes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, she must not have heard what I said. I said, Sarah, tell the lady, thank you. She gave you a peppermint stick. She looked at me and she looked at the lady and she goes, of course, now as a parent, what are you going to do? First of all, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I want to wear her out. I want to give her away. I want to... <laughs> and I'm thinking, she is stubborn like her my, my daddy. <laughs> Bev's out of town. I can do that. Um, she's stubborn. So I said, Sarah, if you don't tell the lady thank you, dad's going to take you to the car and spank you. She didn't shake her head this time. She just stood there, mute. So I take her to the car, Daniel, Bev gets Daniel buckled in, I take her to the car, get the paddle out, there are six of them in the car, <laughs> bam, 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 spank her and said, sweetie, we're going back in and you're going to tell the lady thank you. We walk back into the grocery store, into the restaurant, it's a, we're coming back in, I've already spanked her, she's twice refused to do it, and I said, okay, sweetie, tell the lady thank you. She looks at me, she starts crying, she looks at the lady, and she goes, and I'm thinking, nobody's going to take her. I can't even give her away now. <laughs> and so I go, I, I don't know what to do. So I, I, I'm, I'm like God with the nation of Israel. What shall I do? What shall I do? So, I, I, you know, now I, I wish I could tell you I was the coolest dad on the earth and I kept my cool and didn't get upset and didn't get mad. Now I'm thinking, I buckle her in. We're going to get home. I'm going to wear her bottom out. I mean, those are my thoughts. I, I, I mean, I, CPS is probably called. I'll be arrested, gone to jail, whatever else. And, but I've got to teach this little girl to say thank you. And so we get halfway home. We're on the, the highway from Academy to Temple. And, and I decided to turn around. I shouldn't have done it. I should have waited till we get home. And uh, you need to say, sweetie, you need to say, I'm sorry. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I had two eyes and I could see everything. And she goes, and I'm thinking, I'm going to exercise a demon out of her now. I mean, this is, nobody does that. I mean, nobody does that to their dad. And, and she's like four years old. And so I do what 
you got to do, I pull on the side of the road, unbuckle her, take her to the side of the road, bam, 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 bam. Then she starts crying and she says, Daddy, I'm sorry. But there was a moment there, it's like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And I believe that's Hosea. That's God. What am I going to do with you? I've given you opportunity after opportunity, but, but look at the rest of the verse. Your loyal love is like the morning cloud. It, it, it promises hope, but it's an empty promise. It doesn't happen. And, and like the dew that goes away early, it's like right now the dew is on the ground, but you're still going to water your yard because that dew isn't going to take care of the dryness in your yard right now. It's an empty promise. You say you're going to do it, but it doesn't deliver. The morning clouds have not delivered the rain. The, the dew goes away early. It goes away quickly. And he says, you've made these empty promises. You've said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to gonna. You ever been there with God? God, I'm going to start having a quiet time. God, I'm going to start attending a small group. God, I'm going to start reading the scriptures. God, I'm going to start giving. God, I'm going to start serving. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I read through the Bible every year. I use this little one-year Bible that takes you through Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. We traveled some in January, and I forgot my little Bible. It's on the chair next to my bed, and so I forgot it. We were away for about four or five days. I fell behind. When we got back, I was really busy, and I read at night, and, and now I'm about six or seven days behind. Every night, I'm thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Now, it's probably Leviticus somewhere, which is pretty dry anyway, but, I, you know, I, I'm still going to do that. So I'll never forget, there was a night, I'm about uh, 10 days into it now, and I'm convicted, and I'm laying there reading Sports Illustrated or reading some LSU website on my phone, I can't remember which, and, and I, I'm going through that stuff, and I look over and I see that little Bible sitting in that chair. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit was all over me. Now, I'm in the Word all the time. I'm teaching three times a week, Thursday morning, Friday morning, usually Sundays. So I'm in the Word all the time, but I, I allow the Word to cascade through my heart at night. My last thoughts, I want to be about the Savior and everything that's happening in my head, that He's given to us, His goodness, His greatness, His grace. And conviction came all over me. I picked up that Bible. Now, here's the way I do it. If I'm 10 days behind, I don't try and make up 10 days. I just go to whatever day it is, okay? So I'm there starting over, and the Word of God takes me to the Psalms. And in that psalm, pretty interesting, it happened to be at that time, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you ever forget me? And I'm convicted. How long, Gary, will you forget me? Uh, How long will you hide your face from me, Gary? How long are you going to hide your face from me? But then at the end, he says, I trust you. My heart rejoices in you. I will sing a new song. And it's like God's restoration and his reconciliation are always offered, even if our promises are empty. I mean, the nation's far away from God. This is what it says in the previous chapter. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. The Lord has charged to bring against you. You live in the land. There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God, only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. Sounds like our nation in many ways. They break all bounds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up. All who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea are swept away. In fact, the more priests there are, the more they sin. He's saying, you're a nation that's far away from me. You've had all these empty promises. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but you never get around to it. You have some gunnas in your life? Been making those promises to God and they're empty? Well, he moves on. The next section, he moves from empty promises, he moves to empty worship. If you look at the next verse, he talks about their worship. He, he, he says in verse 6, he says, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He, he's saying basically you're gone through the rituals, you're bringing your offerings, but you're not coming with the right heart. 
You're showing up at worship. In fact, I put this little equation together in my office this week. Religious ritual without love equals empty worship. I mean, there's no love. He says, there's no love. There's no heart here. He says, you're, you're just showing up because it's the right thing to do. You've gone through the paces. You've gone through the ritual. We do that with God. We show up just because it's the right thing to do sometimes. We show up on a daily basis. We come together weekly, but daily we're worshiping. We come together to worship as a community, but daily we worship individually in our small groups. And so he's saying, you know, you're coming, and his condemnation to Israel is you don't have the right heart. In fact, we see that in other places. In the book of Amos, he says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals, your assemblies. They're a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. You think, well, God wants to bring offerings. Well, the problem is this. They're coming with no heart. Away with the noise of your songs. I'm not even going to listen to the music of your heart. I'm not going to listen to your worship music. You come here with no heart. I'm not going to listen to that. In the book of Isaiah, he says, stop bringing your meaningless offerings. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my face. And God says, I'm not going to listen to your music. I'm not going to listen to your prayers because you're coming with an empty heart. Your worship is empty. The song we used to sing, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. You remember that song? Because it's all about you. It's all about you. That song was written worship leader in England, actually. I don't know if you guys know him, but it came about because he felt people were worshiping worship rather than worshiping God. So for three weeks, there was no music in the church. And they came back on the fourth week and they sang that song, coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. Not about me, but it's about you. And God's condemnation to Israel is, hey, you've, you've got empty promises. You've got empty worship. Your heart is not right. And I'm going to tell you, I am guilty sometimes of calling you guys to walk in obedience without first coming with a proper heart. I'm I'm a task-oriented guy. And uh, that's the wrong call. That's a call to moralism, and I don't want to do that. I want you to come with a heart that's been transformed. And out of that transformed heart, then you love. I mean, I I love my bride. She's away in Baton Rouge doing a shower for the weekend, and she'll be back on Tuesday. Can't wait to see her. I love my bride. I love to do stuff for her because I love her. Now, sometimes my motives are mixed. I want something from her, so I'll do something nice. Okay? Am I the only guilty man in here? I mean, I'm in the doghouse. I do something nice. I, I... I, I want to have a meaningful night that night, so I do something nice. <laughs> Don't look at me that way. You're all guilty. You know what I'm talking about. You okay? Somebody just died over there. But, but, but here's the reality. We do the same thing with God, don't we? We do the same thing with God. And what are you saying? I want your heart, not empty worship. And then finally... Finally, he says, your lives are empty. If you look at the remainder of the chapter, he says, Gilead is a city of wrongdoers. There are bloody footprints all over it. Even look at verse 9. A band of priests have murdered on their way to Shechem. Verse 10, Ephraim's harlotry is filling Israel, defiled Israel. Judah, your time of harvest, it's not a good harvest, is coming. God's severe love. The way you avoid God's severe love you return to him. And that's the cry of the prophet, and that's my cry to you. Return to him who's a good God, who loves you, 
all the time. So some of you are here. Man, you're here. You're, you're walking in the wrong direction. You know it. Today's a day for you to come back. And some of you just right here, you're saying, Gary, you know, this, this is a call for me to wake up. I'm the guy with the Bible in the chair and never pick it up. And some of us just say, thank you, Lord, for keeping us close to you. But for all of us, it's clear. Hosea says, he's torn us, but he'll heal us. He's wounded us, but he'll bandage us. So come home. Chuck Swindoll tells a story about a man who was returning from World War II. And the man writes, when I was 13 years old, we moved out to the country. He said it was so far out in the woods that uh, we would go days during the summer without seeing other people. I longed for the school year to come so I could be around other kids. In the middle of being out in the country, I started a little flock of sheep in exchange for one of my rams that I gave to a neighbor, or in exchange for one of my prized rams, he gave me the pick of a litter of, of his prized dog. That's how I got Teddy, my big black Scottish shepherd. Teddy was my dog. Teddy would do anything for me. Teddy would wait for me to come home from school. He'd come running down the pathway. Teddy would uh, sleep beside me in my bed in the wintertime to keep me warm. He would sleep on the floor in the summertime where it was cooler. If I whistled to Teddy, he would come running even if he was eating. Teddy was my constant companion in the fields. He would often walk with me to school two miles away, return home, and then start down the pathway to find me at the end of the school day. Teddy was mine. We spent, I spent more time with Teddy than anybody in the whole world. Then I was called off to war. I was gone for 18 months. I fought in the war in Europe. And then time came for me to come home. The last bus stop from my house was 14 miles away. I had arranged for a friend to meet me there, and I was going to surprise my family. When I got to the bus stop, nobody was there to meet me. All I could do was walk home. It ended up being about 11 o'clock at night when I was just a few hundred yards from the house. It was pitch black. I knew every step of the way. It was so familiar to me. Suddenly, Teddy heard me. Teddy heard me. I heard that warning bark that I'd heard so many times and anybody intruded into our field. And so I whistled. It was our whistle. The barking stopped. There was a yelp of recognition. Next thing I knew, there was a big black ball of fur hurtling towards me in the darkness. He hit me with such a thud that I hit the ground. And the next thing I felt was him licking me in the face over and over and over. To this day, that's the best way I can explain what it means to come home. You know, I've read that three times today. I I get choked up reading it every time. It's a dog recognizing his master and, and welcoming you home. Let me tell you something greater than that. A father looking for you who might be here or here. And like the prophet says return and come home. And much greater than a dog knocking you over and licking you in the face is a great God who will embrace you forever. Father, thank you. Thank you that you welcome the prodigal. Thank you that when we run from you, you run looking for us. Thank you for being a God who disciplines those that you love. And even if it's a severe love, a severe discipline, You bandage us and you heal us. My friends, I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ this morning. If you're far away, he desires for you to come close. Or maybe you're close but not where you want to be. Or maybe you just need to say, thank you, Lord, for keeping me next to you. 
But I pray, as I call unto you, as Hosea called to his people, return, return to the Lord. Father, draw us to yourself in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you.